All right, as you know, as you can see on the screen, we are continuing in our dating series. Um, this week is actually kind of like a part two, if you're new today, sorry, uh, because you've missed several messages so far. Um, it's part two of a, of a message that we started last week, talking about preparing to date. Um, but this is, we've been in this dating series for a couple weeks now, and in the first week we introduced the topic, um, obviously it's relevant, it's on everyone's minds to some degree or another in this phase of life, and uh, even if you plan not to date, your friends are, and they're at looking to you for some insight and wisdom. Um, so we, we introduced the topic the first week, we looked at what the Bible says or doesn't say about dating, in particular it doesn't say very much at all about dating, so uh, we learned a lot from that, that we shouldn't you know, make any one, one way of dating the biblical way, whether it's courtship or, or dating or anything like that. So we also realize that the Bible only acknowledges that really two categories. You're either single or you're married in Scripture. Maybe betrothed, we could put betrothed in there, but you're either single or you're married. And so, so dating or whatever we're calling this period in between is really just like our definition. to move from singleness to marriage um, in a way that honors Christ. So the Bible is going to give us principles to guide us in that in that process. That was week one. Then next we looked at the purpose of dating, and, and what was that? Do you remember? What is the purpose of dating? What's that? Testing companionship. Yeah, that's probably a better word than compatibility, but man, I'm like, turn this thing around here. There we go. Yeah, testing companionship. Uh, you know, we're, our, our main goal is that God's glorified in the process. So whether you end up together or not, we want God to get glory from that. And as you're together in the dating process, you're testing companionship. And we looked at that in depth and what that means and how to do that several weeks ago. And then last week, like we said, we started uh, looking at what it means to prepare to date. So remember, we were getting into this, and so many folks come into college and they think, or they're working time in this, you know, 18 to 25 years old, and you think just because I'm 18 or 19 or 20, now's the time when people date, now's the time when people start getting married, and that's true, but we don't want to just think, okay, marriage is sort of a a right that I have, a rite of passage. We want to look at, are there things in our life, is there something in my life that would make me marryable? You know, do I have spiritual readiness um, and a measure of, of readiness that would make marriage a wise choice for me? And so last week, we, we basically said we don't have to overcomplicate this. I remember the, the passage to the widows. Paul says she's free to marry whomever she wishes, only in the Lord, right? So there's those two, those two pieces, whomever she wishes, whoever she desires, only in the Lord. So the, only quali- the, the, the two qualifications are she has to want it, and the person that she's marrying has to be a real Christian. So we looked at that last week. What is a real Christian? What is in the heart of a real Christian? And... Um, and so we, we looked at that again. We're not saying that you have to be uh, this ancient, matured oak tree, that's, or maybe apple tree, that's bearing all kinds of fruit, because you're young. You're young in the faith. But what, what are some of those things there that should be there in seed form to show that you're a, a genuine believer? And so I told you guys that we would, we would kind of do another ex, ex, installment of that and look at the guys and the girls specifically. So we're going to try to do that today. Um, We'll see how far we get, all right? So, no guarantees, but um, what I want to do this morning, we're still on the, this, this preparing to date, and I'm going to call it preparing to date specifically, all right? Specifically. Meaning, we looked at generally last week, so things that are true of both, both guys and girls, meaning the, the, the qualities of a, of a true believer, and today we're going to look at what, what it looks, what qualities should be in our lives specifically, you know, particularly as guys, and then also particularly as ladies. And I want to start this week the same way I started last week, which was with a caveat. All right? Most of you in here that I talk with are very sensitive consciences. So what I, I want to emphasize, all I'm saying is we're, we're looking for seed form qualities. What do you think I mean by that? Yes, the general trajectory, maybe patterns. Maybe even patterns may be too strong at this point. 
we're looking for the germination of a seed in your life. Some little sprouts shooting up of like, okay, yeah, these things are starting to happen in my life. Or at least I have categories for these things. Now I'm, I'm beginning to pursue these things, right? So if you want to think of today, if you want to think of last week as like, that's the non-negotiable, like I've got to be a believer. You can think of this week as, here's qualities that if they're in my life, it makes getting married to me a wise choice. Is that fair? So if, again, last week was like non-negotiable, so you have to be in the Lord. This week is sort of like for the, for the men and the women, if these qualities are, are, are beginning in your life and you've got the, these, these categories, it's going to make being married to you a wise choice. Like someone would be wise if they said, yeah, I see these things in your life and, and I want to, want to get married to you. Um, so that's, that's the goal, all right? So I just want to jump in here because we've got a lot, a lot to talk about. All right, number one, let's, let's do the men. All right, seed form qualities for the dudes. And just so you're aware, you don't think I'm like making this harder than it needs to be, I'm thinking about the role of a husband, and I'm kind of working backwards off that. Does that make sense? Do the same for the ladies, okay? So think about the role of a husband, and I'm working backwards. And so the first quality, I think that stands out, that's pretty obvious, is that uh, I'm calling it self-sacrificing love. This is the first quality that needs to be in seed form in a man's life, um, ideally before he dates. Um, but if you're dating now and you're like, oh, what does this mean? What are, what are we getting at? Uh, this is something you need to be getting after right now. So I listed a text here, Ephesians 5.25, and you can go ahead and open there. As you're turning there, you know, just in, just in case we don't get to the ladies today, um, and you ladies are feeling left out, this is obviously relevant for you. How so? Help you find a good guy and keep you away from the guys that probably are not worth dating. Sorry, guys. That's you. But you can be, you can be marriable very soon. The ball is in your court. All right, Ephesians 5.25. This is like the, the central sort of attitude of the husband. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives... As their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Then he goes on to talk about the wives. So, Self-sacrificing love. Ephesians 5.25, Paul tells the husbands to love their wives just like Christ loved the church. So, in other words, the pattern for husband, a pattern for his love for his wife is Christ's love for him, Christ's love for the church. And how does Christ love the church? Well, Paul draws out the sacrificial nature of the love of Christ at the end of verse 25. It says Christ gave himself for her. You guys all see that? Yeah? I wasn't very enthusiastic. Do you see it? It's sacrificial love. It's not necessarily an emotional love. Do you see that? Okay. It's key. Jesus, at great cost to himself, he dies so that his wife will be purified. Agreed? So in the same way, Jesus calls a husband to die so that his wife might flourish. This is one of the core elements of a husband's role. It's at the very heart of his leadership. He's a willingness to die for the good of his wife. And self-sacrificing does not start in marriage. 
So, guys, just think this through. How are you practicing laying down your life for the welfare of others? How are you starting that now? Is there, is, is there points in your life where you're laying down your life for the good of others? Think about it in the church. Are you serving in the church in a way that actually costs you something? Yeah, sure. It might be personally gratifying to serve in a particular way, but are you serving in ways that, that cost you something, that are going to benefit other people? Because you've, you've got to cut at that root of the self-orientation of your heart, especially as a young man. Um, it's easy to pursue self-gratification. But you've got to start cutting at that. Are you preoccupied with yourself when you, come to this, when you come to church? Do you obsess over yourself? Do you obsess over being noticed, being preeminent? Or are you preoccupied with Christ's glory and the needs of His people? Are they on your heart? Are the needs of others on your heart? Are you, are you thinking about ways where you could meet those needs? And are you thinking less about what you need? That's the heart of, of a self-sacrificing leader. So think about the church. Kind of think about your relationships in the church and the ways you, you serve others there. But also think about your family, your current family, or those closest to you and those kind of close relationships. Do you love them? Or do you resent them? Are you kind and respectful toward these people? Do you speak to them in ways that honor them? Do you seek to serve and prefer those folks? Do you know your family's needs? Do you pray for your family? And Because here's the key. If you don't for your current family, you won't for your future family. So we've got to be realistic here about these things. You know, If you're not taking responsibility within your current roles of, of family burdens and relationships, what makes you think that you will with the future family? So it starts now. All right, here's another, another question related to, to love. How well do you listen to other people? You're thinking, how does that relate to love? And specifically with a husband. Husband's a leader. Well, 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter tells husbands to live with their wives according to knowledge, or literally in an understanding way. And that implies that we need to be sensitive to the needs of our wives. A husband needs to be sensitive to her joys and her burdens so that he can actually help her. And this is an outworking of love. And that can start now, right? So evaluate your conversations now. Are you learning to ask good questions? Are you learning to draw out people and get to know them? Are you patient in conversation? Do you listen well? Are you in a hurry to talk about yourself? Do people feel free to share their burdens with you? If not, why not? If so, how can you cultivate that even, even more? Are you, do you have the shoulders to say, okay, I want help, to help shoulder that burden for you? Because that's, that's at the heart of a husband. So just learning to, learning to listen can be just a very practical way that that's just going to transfer right over into your marriage, learning to listen to others now, your friends, your family, instead of always being sort of preoccupied with yourself. And ladies, look for the guys who are trying to love now, right? Like, look for those kind of guys. And again, it's not going to be, we're all works in progress. It's not just that you're works in progress because you're young. We're, I'm a work in progress. Rich is a work in progress. We're all works in progress in this area. We're constantly needing to learn to die to ourselves to, for the good of others. But for the, for the young guys, you know, we're not looking for perfection here. We're just looking, like, like Matt said earlier, we're looking for patterns. And, and when it doesn't happen, okay, when you're, when you're living for yourself, we want to see you recognizing that, identifying that, owning it, turning from it. That's, we're, looking like, we're looking for zeal to get after loving people the way that Christ has loved you. So we've, we looked at that at 1 John, so we won't, we won't hammer that um, here. So... And again, I see a lot of you young guys, just continue to encourage you. A lot of you young guys, you're doing this, okay? So you're loving people. You're loving the saints. You're loving your family members, and I see it. So don't, don't be discouraged by this. Just continue to, to build on this. But this is key, all right? Self-sacrificing love's got to be in the heart of a young man who wants to get married. And one of the most basic, basic, basic ways that you can 
love and demonstrate this love is by living a life of what we'll call pure fidelity. One of the most basic ways that this self-sacrificing love will be expressed is in purity. And I emphasize basic because it's almost like I talk with the ladies and it's almost like they're just sort of resigned to the fact that the guy they're going to date is looking at porn. And this is not the way it ought to be. Pure fidelity, okay? Pure fidelity. Fidelity in marriage, what does that mean? That means that faithfulness, the husband is faithful and loyal to his spouse. And purity in a man's heart is a key element to what makes a man faithful to his wife. Get that? Purity in a man's heart now as a single guy is what makes a man faithful to his future wife. And so we're calling this trait pure fidelity. A man devoted to the purity of his wife will be devoted to the purity of his own heart. Why do I say that? Because you cannot lead your wife in purity, like the Ephesians 5 husband is supposed to do, if his own heart is not pure. Is that fair? Now, there are several texts we can quickly consider on this point. Okay, 1 Timothy 5, 2, I think is up here. Paul commands Timothy, a younger, single man, he commands Timothy to treat younger women in the church with all purity, or as sisters, with all purity. Now, he could have just said with purity, and that would have gotten the point. But he, he, he doubles down with all purity. So when it comes to our purity as younger men, there should be no question, no question about our motives toward our single sisters in Christ. Our interactions with them should be characterized by complete and comprehensive purity. That's the standard. No matter how low evangelicalism has set the bar. And the key here is purity does not just end once you get married. Purity extends into marriage and is the foundation upon which a marriage is built. The author of Hebrews commands the church to keep the marriage bed undefiled, he says in Hebrews 13.4. Keep the marriage bed undefiled, and he warns that God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. And this means that marriage should remain pure as husband and wife are devoted exclusively to each other. And so, like we said, a man has no ability to lead his wife in purity if he's not devoted to the purity of his own heart. So that means, then, that pornography needs to be radically repented of, radically amputated, especially before you date. And if you think, wow, that sounds harsh. Well, does it? Imagine picking up a man's daughter and explaining to him that she's only one of the other ladies in your life that you've been gawking at this week, been looking at naked this week, and you hope to derive pleasure from this week. Is that too high, is that, is that too high a standard to say you, you need to be free of porn before you date? It is a lie that marriage will fix or help the porn problem. Pornography is not a physiological problem. It is a moral problem. It is a pride problem in the heart. It's not, that means that these biological fixes, that's not going to fix your heart. It's a covetous, self-seeking heart. And ladies, please do not be naive. A man's self-indulgent heart does not change just because he now has a wedding ring on his finger. But, all right, if by God's grace he has taken the log of impurity out of his own eye and he's battling, he's humbled, he will be able to see clearly to help you take the speck out of your eye. 
So what is a man that's devoted to purity, a single man that's devoted to purity? What does that, what does he act like? How would we, what would we see, what would this look like? Well, he would be committed to actively renewing his own mind with the promises of purity and the warnings of God, the warnings about lust. He would refuse to indulge in pornography or any other form of sexual immorality because he sees the stakes as they are. He sees the stakes are high. He would treat the women in his church not as objects for his pleasure, but as sisters in Christ and co-heirs of the grace of life. He would respect them. He would defend their purity. He would help to protect them. He would guard their reputation and he would do good to them. So men aspire to this Christ-like behavior. Pure fidelity now is foundational for purity in marriage later. Okay, Now this isn't a series on how to overcome sexual sin. But I could, may even teach one of those in the near future. But this, this is serious. We've got to get after this. So if, you, if this is in your life, you're enslaved to it, this is why the church is here. Okay, We're here to help you. Christ loves to transform Sexually moral people into sexually pure people. And he has the power to do it. Okay? So let's talk about that question now that was asked last week. Okay, how long does a guy need to be free from pornography before he's ready to date? Well, my short answer, or the shortest answer, is it depends. Okay? It depends. It's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to put a time frame on it. Because it's not about, I mean, it is about time in some sense because you want to see patterns developing, but it's not, it's not just like, oh, if you can just do it, for, be free for a month. So that's the short answer. The less short answer is when, you know, when is he ready? When he's truly repented and when patterns of obedience to the Lord have been established over time. That's when he's ready. But I realize this is messy. I realize there's often isn't a lot of specificity given in these situations. So let me just spell out for you what it is that I would want to see. So I put myself, you know, obviously I'm a pastor, but I put myself in the father category. I had a young man who came to me in 20 years, wanted to date one of my daughters. But he was struggling with pornography. Here is what I would want to see. And here's what I would be discipling this guy toward. All right, you ready? So how long does a guy need to be pure before he should date? This is kind of a segue. All right, initially... He would be ready. Well, let me say first, I would want to see him understand what lust is biblically. Meaning, I would want him to thoroughly understand what's going on inside of him when lust happens. The Bible is very clear and very helpful on this point. I'd want him to see that it's not a biological issue at its heart, but it's a worship issue, that it's rooted in deception. It's rooted in pride, and it's worthy of God's judgment. So I'd want him to say, that's, like, that's, that's, that's number one. Okay? I'd want him to understand what's going on. And next, I would want him to know the dangers of lust and what the Bible actually says about it. And this is true for any sin pattern, okay? But let's, we're taking lust in particular, and lust, pornography specifically. If you look at pornography, I automatically know that you do not or are not believing what the Bible says about the dangers of lust. It's automatic. Because if you did believe it, you would not look at it. It's as pure and simple as that is. If the stakes are high enough, you're not going to look at it. I, I, I often say this to guys and just kind of help them think this through. It, think about the person that you most value in the world. Now let's pretend that that person had a drone over them, and at any point, that drone could shoot them and assassinate them. And it would only, the, it would, the, the drone, the trigger would be when you looked at pornography. Would you look at pornography? No. Why? Because the stakes are too high. The stakes are much higher than that in the scriptures. So I'd want him to know what those are. I'd want him to know the dangers. I'd want him to know the chapter and verse of those warnings to map those out in his own life. And let those warnings work the fear of God into his heart. Because if you won't hear the scriptures, 
It won't matter if somebody's raised from the dead and comes back and tells it, right? If you will not hear the words of, of the Lord. All right, that's number two. Number three, I would want him to learn to repent of it, which would include taking full responsibility for his sin and not blaming it on anyone or anything else. I want, him to, I want to hear him confessing his sin in the right way to the Lord. I want to hear him confessing it accurately and with brokenness. All right, number four. I'd want to see him looking to Christ by faith and not groveling in self-pity. What do I mean by that? I want to see him availing his heart of the mercy of Christ. I want him to flee to Christ and taste and see that the Lord is good to him in particular. I want him to see the Christ's heart of compassion even for the perverted. I want him to know those passages that promise God's mercy full and free. And I would want him to see Christ and I would want to see him appropriating those truths into his life. I want to see him thanking God for the richness of, his, of the undeserved mercy. I want him to live a life of thanksgiving. Learn to do that. Because he knows he's been shown mercy. And, and I know that that's the real deal. If I see a loyalty in his heart springing up to Christ, a loyalty to Christ for all that he's done for him, and showing him that kind of mercy when he's been that, that, that depraved. All right, that's number four. I want to see him trusting Christ's promises for mercy. Number five, I'd want to see him take a deeper dive into the circumstances of his temptation and learn more about how his own heart lies to him in that moment. When he's ready to click, his heart is churning out lies, and up to this point, he's only ever believed them. So I'd want to see him learning to identify what those lies are. Specifically, to see them as lies. To see them as as promoting Satan's kingdom. And to learn to battle those lies with specific truths from the Scriptures. So that's number five. Number six. I would want to see him trusting in those promises, choosing to trust Christ in those very moments of his temptation. I want to see him learning to say no to his sinful desires, to what he wants in that moment, and to say yes to Christ in the very moment, in the heat of the battle. I want to see him living not by how he feels, but by what the truth says. And I would want to see that as a pattern. Okay, so not this momentary, I was free yesterday. If I'm the dad, saying, not a chance. Okay, I want want to walk with you in this, I want to help you with this, but I need to see patterns of where you're not going back to those old paths. Anytime we're in habitual sin and we're trying to get out of it, it's like an old path in the woods that we've walked on all our lives, and that path is just clear, free from debris, no weeds growing on it. Why? Because that's the only place we've trafficked. And now we're looking at this new path through the woods, and there's no path. And the Spirit gives you a machete, and He says, come on. And there's briars, and there's all kinds of things. And we don't know. It's like, okay. So we're, we're starting to hack away. Before long, you're like, wow, that old path looks really easy. It's easy to get back over on that old, on that old path. That's our default But that's why we need patterns. So you need to be hacking away. But as you learn to hack, you're going to look back and you're going to see, okay, here's the path. And then next time, you're going to go back to the path. And so it's going to be a transition. And then guess what's going to happen to the old path? The briars are going to grow over that old path. Right? So that's why I'm saying it takes some time. And again, I'm not saying years. Right? I mean, it it takes time to develop those patterns. To be patient. But I want to see him learning to say no to those sinful desires. And to see this obedience is the reigning pattern of his life. And I would just say for several months at a minimum. There's no magic to the number. Okay? 
But for me, what I would feel comfortable with as a dad is several months at a, at a minimum. All right, and then number seven, I would want to see him getting after all the other things that Christ has commanded him to be about. All the other good works that God has laid out for that young man to do. I would want to see him not using his precious time, the time that the Lord has given him, the Lord's given him the time. I don't want to see him using that time to look at naked girls on the internet. That is advancing Satan's kingdom. But I want to see this young man learning to use his time and his energy and his money and his gifts for Christ's kingdom. I would want him to taste the joy of that kind of life, that truly masculine life, a truly noble life that's full of eternal reward, a life that's full of sacrifice for the good of others, meaningfulness, a life that's going to be remembered and praised. I want him to taste the good life and see the fruit begin to accrue in that, in that area. Number eight, I would want to see him hating sin, the sin of lust, and being passionate and zealous to get the truth to other people who were like him. His friends, his doormates, others who are currently enslaved. This doesn't mean he's doing the counseling, okay? But it means he is eager to see them transformed. I would want to see this young man humbly confronting those other guys and seeing to it that they avail themselves of, of the church to get the help they so desperately need. He's the bridge, you know. Hey, I know this guy, I know this elder, I know this discipler. He can help you because he knows the scriptures better than I do. And I'm not in a place ready to help you yet, but I want to, I want to, I want to get you this, these men who can help you. And if these things are the pattern of this young man's life, I would be glad for him to date my daughter. No matter what kind of baggage he came out of. I would rejoice. I mean, obviously, if my daughter wanted to date him, I'm not arranging that marriage as badly as I want to. This doesn't mean he won't ever struggle again. Or that he won't ever, God forbid, look at porn again. I hope that's not the case, but he may. But Christ, my point is that even if he's weak, even if he sins in a moment of temptation, he is now equipped to repent. He is equipped to do battle. He is equipped to be on his face where he knows, he knows what the battle is. It's not just like, I hope it doesn't happen again. He knows what it takes. And more importantly, he will be cultivating, actively cultivating the kind of relationship with Christ and, and, and cultivating a faithful life that's going to render him even stronger to withstand the temptation next time. That's the kind of man that can lead my daughter. Amen? All right, so I want to take some time and just flesh that out. And if you're wondering kind of where I got that, I got that from Ephesians 5. I could show you how all those points are right there in Ephesians 5 in the battle with purity. Not, not, the, not, the, not, the, not the husband's passage. Flip backwards a bit before that. Verse 3. The sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. And then he goes on down the list. And that's just, that's just what Paul, that's Paul's strategy for overcoming sexual sin. All right, we're going to leave that point. Where are we at? What time we got? My phone. No, two. Sorry, ladies. We're not getting there today. <laughs> but I want to just take that time and just spell it out, right? Because this is what we're looking for. And we want to help you if this is where you're at. And ladies, be encouraged. I, am, I have been shepherding in the college ministry for five some years now. And I have seen young men who are doing these things. All right? They are battling. They are overcoming sexual sin by the power of Christ. Don't believe the lie, ladies, that they're just all like that. They're not. 
I'm seeing the Lord work in these young men's hearts. So be encouraged. All right? Last thing we'll say for the men, all right? Last trait that needs to be there. And I put this last because as you're getting after loving the saints and you're getting after being pure in your own heart, guess what's going to happen? People are going to want to follow you, right? So there needs to be some compelling followability in your life. Or you could say it like this. You need to live a life that's increasingly worth following. Why would I say that? When you think about being a husband. Come on, guys. Yes, thank you. Men are supposed to lead. Right? That is, that is the... When you become a husband, you are given the title of head of your wife and of your family. That means you're the leader. It means that God's going to come to your doorstep when there's sin in the family, when your wife's failing and it's difficult for her. He's going to come to you. And he's going to look at your leadership first. So, a life that's increasingly worth following is good to be, begin cultivating, realizing, okay, this is what I need to be kind of focused on. We want you to aspire to live a life that's increasingly worth following. Now, this principle is throughout Scripture. Okay, so, so Paul called the churches to imitate both himself and others who lived like him. It doesn't mean Paul's perfect. It doesn't, definitely doesn't mean those people that he was saying to imitate were perfect. It just means they have a life that's worthy of imitation. He told Timothy and Titus to be an example of godly living for the congregations that they were shepherding. 1 Timothy 4.12, Titus 2.7. Part of an elder's job responsibility is to be an example to the flock. 1 Peter 5.3. So this shows us that someone, here's the point, here's the principle. Someone whom God tasks to lead is expected to live a life that's worthy of imitation. Someone whom God tasks to lead, like a husband, and if you're dating as a man, you're saying, I want to be a husband, okay? Someone whom God tasks to lead is expected by God to live a life that is worthy of imitation. Not perfection, imitation. This is a role you grow into. I'm not saying that you're just automatically there. I get it. But husbands are tasked with the leadership of the family We praise the Lord for godly wives, but it is a tragedy when a wife must take the spiritual leadership mantle of the family because of the failure of her husband. That never goes well. Husbands are called by God to set the pace spiritually with God's promise that that the wives that are under his leadership, for a husband who's doing that, they will flourish in that kind of environment. Psalm 128. Psalm 128. It's already good to be getting in that pattern of like, okay, if, if someone's struggling and they're in my life, okay, maybe it's, maybe, it's a, maybe it's, how's my leadership tethered to that? Right? Versus automatically thinking like, they're just a problem, you know? So what does this kind of life look like now for a single guy? This life of compelling followability. I think you would see some things beginning to take shape, all right? He would be hungry and zealous to develop convictions in the fear of God. Meaning, he's going to want to know what the Bible says about issues. He's going to be trying to apply them to his life. He's going to be trying to grow in those convictions. He's not just going to be sitting back and just sort of like waiting on it to happen. That's not leadership. He needs to be taking initiative to develop those convictions in the fear of God. Meaning like, what does he believe about God? What does he believe about Christ? What does he believe about himself and his sin? What does he believe about righteousness? And pursuing that holy life and holy living. Is he developing those convictions from the scriptures? Does he know where those passages are in the Bible? Is he growing in that? Or is he just kind of flitting around doing other things when he could be developing these convictions? Ladies, you don't want a man who doesn't have any convictions. All right, so he's going to, and you're not going to have them all developed. I'm just going to say, you're going you're to know you don't have them developed, and that's going to be driving you to say, okay, help me think about this. You're going to have questions after sermons. You're gonna, what about that? How does, how does this apply here? What does this look like there? Right? You don't have to have them all developed, but there's going to be that zeal. It's going to look like taking responsibility. Guys, do not shy away from things just because they might be hard, 
because they might feel uncomfortable, but press in to those things. It's going to look like learning to make wise decisions. Learning to make wise decisions. To think for yourself. To think biblically for yourself. Instead of always relying on other people to make decisions for you. And then blaming those people when the decisions don't work out the way you intended. So learning to make wise decisions. Decisions that aren't impulsive. Decisions that aren't based on how you feel in a given moment. But decisions that are based on those convictions that you're learning. Not waiting on a download from the Holy Spirit to give you this, this still, quiet voice, you know, to go do that thing. That's not how, we, that's not how it works. Okay, he's, been, he's not stuttered in the Scriptures. He's not, it's not a wild goose chase. The Spirit is not trying to give you Hansel and Gretel breadcrumbs to help you figure out what to do. He's called you to gird it up, know the Scriptures, and make decisions by faith. That's leadership. Wise decisions. I think Rich is going to talk about that. So if you're like, oh, I don't know how to do that. All I do is wait for downloads. That's okay. We're going to help you with that. Rich is going to, he's going to set us all straight. All right. It looks like making, making wise decisions. It looks like working hard. And not just working hard, but seeing the value of hard work. We try to teach our kids, hard things are good. Hard things are good. Because how, how do we think about that? Hard things are the worst thing for me, right? Ease is best. All right? We want you to work hard, see the value of hard work, rather than always cutting corners, living for the summer and winter break, always complaining about how busy you are, or how hard your exams are, or how much you have to do. Let's turn that around. Let's start thanking God for those difficulties. Because they're shaping you. They're turning you into a man. Right? A real one. So a man works hard. He sees the value of hard work. You could write down 1 Timothy 5, 8, Ephesians 4, 28 on that. It's kind of taking responsibility. It looks like, all right, it looks like initiating spiritual conversations right now. It looks like being willing to share what you're learning. Being vulnerable, asking for prayer, being able to engage others and draw out what they're learning. You don't want to always be the one lagging behind in spiritual maturity, and you definitely don't want to be the one lagging behind the ladies in spiritual maturity and drawing that out, waiting on them to ask you. You've got to be the one that's setting the spiritual pace. And then finally, what does this life look like that's, that's compelling? You want to be learning to manage yourself. Manage yourself. And why do I say that? Well, because you, you're managing the home. The home is your responsibility. And it's not just your wife. Oh, yeah, she's the keeper of the home. I'm not going to have to think about it. No. It's your job. And you delegate that to your wife. She manages the home, and she can do it a lot better than you probably. But it's still under your responsibility. And so you have to learn to manage yourself. Which looks like managing your time. Managing your responsibilities. Learning, learning what to say yes to, what to say no to. Learning how to be faithful in church. All those things. Now again, I know this is like, this is so convicting, right? I get it. I get it. I, am, I just say these things and convict because this is never something that we arrive in as men. Ever. But we've got to know the categories. Alright? If we don't know the categories, we won't be aspiring for anything. And so I'm not saying you're going to have to always know and have this balanced schedule and never feel like, oh my goodness, I never, I never saw that assignment coming. You know? Now I've got to stay up all night to get it done. And it's going to impact X, Y, and Z the next day. That's going to happen. Okay? And especially going to happen to you guys because you're younger. You're on the front end. It still happens to me. And I keep a calendar, and I have to-doists, and I have all these things. And it's difficult, all right? It is very, very challenging. Learning to manage ourselves is, is a challenge. But knowing that that's out there, knowing that's in front of you, and knowing that that's going to have direct 
a direct transfer to your home should you get married. Um, that, that needs to be there in your, in your mind, okay? So we're going we're gonna to land here, and um, I just want to remind you, again, I know this is convicting, but these things, notice the heading, it's in, they're in seed form. We're looking for these, these little seeds to be germinated and some of the sprouts to start shooting up in some of these areas, not for you to have it mastered. You never will. Not for it to feel like, yes, I'm going to be, you know, Braveheart tomorrow. Like, that's not, that's not the case. These are small incremental steps. And I want you guys to be encouraged because so many of you dudes, I know you, and so many of you guys, especially the ones of you who feel crushed right now, and you're like, gosh, i got to work on X, Y, and Z. I need to break up with my girlfriend. I need to get, like, deal. I cannot manage myself. You're probably not the guy that I want breaking up with your girlfriend, okay? So just be humble. Let's get after being the, these kinds of men, men who are faithful to bring blessing to other people, okay? So we got two minutes. Do you have any questions? Yeah, so the question's a good question. How do you communicate between if there's a guy that's he desires to pursue you, but he's, got, he's working on issues in his life, in the sexual department? How should he communicate that? And I would just say just to be just, just gracious but discreet, right? And you ladies are going to want to know all the answers. You're going to want to know the ins and outs and the timeline and all that stuff. That's not, you. That's not for you to decide, okay? That's for his discipler to decide. And if, if he just says, I have things that I need to work on, um, that are serious, that my elders or disciples or whoever have pointed out, and I need to, I need to get working on this, um, I will communicate with you when I'm ready. Right? So you entrust that dude to the Lord. You don't have any guarantees he's going to repent of it or come out of it. So, so just guard your heart. Pray for him. Um, those are the things I would say. Yeah, just but be patient. Trust the Lord. Don't get out ahead of the Lord and what the Lord's doing. Because if, if he ends up marrying you, and he short-circuits the repentance process, that's going to be a mess. Because he's not really forsaken that, that self-indulgent heart. And he's just going to use you as the next object of his lust. So, it's very important that he learn to, to repent of that. And, and have a, a strategy for battling it. So he can, he can cultivate purity in the marriage. Don't, I know that the temptation is to want to try to get out ahead of that. And know all the answers, know when he's going to be ready, want a timeline, but just give him space, let him work on it, um, pray for him. Does that answer your question? More or less? Not really? <laughs> I would just say don't, don't, if you're the guy, don't, don't do a lot of communicating about it because that, that doesn't belong on your shoulders as a lady. Yeah. All right. What if they're already in a relationship? Then it gets hairy. All right? It, it, it gets a little complicated. So all, all of that depends on the level of enslavement, what's going on there. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've counseled guys just in the past who were engaged, and then it kind of came out in the beginning as a premarital. And I just stopped all premarital counseling. And I said, for the next six months, we're going to work on this. They stayed engaged. And I said, you got to be willing to postpone the wedding. you got to be willing to do whatever it, whatever it takes to deal with this. And, um, and they did it. Praise God. And he repented. And he got after it. And so that's, it's not wrong. I think some people present it like somehow the guy's wrongly motivated if he's like trying to repent so that he can get married. And it could be. You could just continue being idolizing marriage and those things. But that's a biblical motivation. Like, my goal is not for you guys to be 30 and still trying to figure out how to get to repent. I want you to be married because you have these desires. God has created you as a sexual being. And this is to be fulfilled in a marriage. And it is a joyful thing. 
So I want to get you to that point, and as quickly as I can, right? So that's, that's the goal. Um, it's not just to, like, come in and just blow up your dating relationships and those kinds of things. But if you're a threat to her, that's the key, is you guys don't think that you're threats. <laughs> but if you're enslaved to pornography, you are a great threat to that girl that you're dating. You have no ability to know that you even love her. So that's the danger, okay? So if, if the counsel ends up being you've got to break up for a season to deal with this, if he can't deal with it while he's with her, then he may have to do that if he's, if he's so enslaved. Now, again, it's just such a case-by-case. Case. He may not need to do that if it's, he's working at it, there's humility there, he's in, and they're on the same page about it. But he doesn't need to be transferred. She doesn't need to be his discipleship partner. Please do not do that. <laughs> My goodness. Come talk to me about it. Please, not her. And let's work through these things. All right? Um, so, again, that's just case by case. Whether you break up, whether you're not, it, seek counsel. That would be what I would say. Seek counsel on it. And be willing to do whatever it takes to repent of it. Okay? Whatever it takes. So, again, yeah, I'm, I'm presupposing right now that nobody's in, a, like, in the ideal scenario. Nobody's in this relationship, and it's a struggle right now. So, like, let's deal with it now. But what happens if you're in it? I realize those things happen. So, I would just say have a conversation about that with a pastor here and get perspective on it. What needs to happen? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I know it's kind of awkward, but man. Yeah, I mean. At some level, you probably want to you probably want to get to know that, you know, discreetly, and without details, but just. Or is there somebody in his life that you can ask? That'd be better. Um, yeah, ask that mentor. Where's this guy at? If he doesn't have a mentor and he's freewheeling it, then you're like, there's nobody to ask. Uh, I'm not saying don't date the guy, but it's just that's like whoa, um, nobody's in his life. How's anybody going to know if he's a quality guy or not? So, um, again, a lot of things are solved when you start with the church and work out. I'm not saying you have to date people in the church exclusively, but it's not not a bad idea, all right? (laughs) So, there's a lot of people here. I mean, when I was in Balance, there was like 20 of us. So, (laughs) anyway, we're out of time. Good question. Good question. Yeah, I'm just going to dismiss you.